so I have the um, privilege of introducing uh, Dave to you tonight. Dave is our kids and youth pastor. He's also one of my best friends. Uh, I love him a whole lot. He is amazing. And uh, he, is, he has served so faithfully in our church for so many years. A lot of you might not kind of necessarily see him that much because he uh, is always just like down with the kids in the morning. <laughs> Yeah. He, he is also down with the kids, that's true, uh, but he's in kids' church, and then he's with the youth, like, yeah, so he's amazing, so I just wanted to pray for him tonight, I'm excited and expectant for the word that the Lord has given him this evening. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would fall on Dave now, and you would empower him to deliver your word this evening. God, would our hearts be soft in this room, and our ears open to hear your word. God, we just pray that your spirit would fall in power as Dave preaches to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, down with the kids. Yeah. There was a lot of laughter to that. I don't know how I feel about that. Um, I'm going to go off piece straight away. Um, on Thursday, I was in small group, uh, and we were praying for one another, and I had uh, this verse, which I've, I must have read at some point, but I, I didn't remember ever reading the wording for someone, and um, just during worship, I felt like the Lord was bringing it back to mind, um, and so I'm going to read it, and I've, the word that I had off the back of it for the person I was praying for on Thursday was different from what I think God is saying now, um, so it's in Isaiah, Isaiah 57. Uh, 15, and it says this, uh, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity. And um, just felt like the Lord was saying that, well, as I kind of interpreted it in my human way, I was like, yeah, you know, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I was like, oh, Lord, I think you're saying to someone, you're, you're reassuring them that you were there at a past event. And I absolutely think that's true. But the longer I thought about it and the longer I dwelt on it, I felt like the Lord was saying, actually, there's, there's someone here who's on the cusp of giving their life to Jesus. But your reservation is you're like, Lord, are you going to be there in that thing in the future? And I don't know what it is. And I might be wrong. And, you know, if I'm wrong, I don't mind. But if that is you and you are thinking... You know, I want to give my life to Jesus. I, I want in. But I'm, there's the fear about something that's coming up in the future that you're like, will God be there? Uh, then this is the Lord speaking to you and saying, yes, I will be there. I inhabit eternity. So we will have a chance. We pray for one another at the end of the service. So we will, um, if that is you, then come down. We'll grab, grab prayer, grab someone around you, and we will pray for you. Um, but as Paul said, my name is Dave. Right, back on peace. Here we go. Uh, I am part of the team here. I'm the kids pastor. I am down with the kids. I'm the youth pastor. I don't know if I'm down with the youth. Um, and I've enjoyed my first Father's Day today. Woo! As a father, obviously, I've had 20, several um, of normal Father's Days. Um, best thing about having a... No, oh, no, that's awful. Best thing about this isn't the best thing about having a kid. This is a good thing about having a kid. It's presents for my parents sorted. Because you just get, so my son's called Judah. You just get his feet, paint them, put his feet, painted feet on pretty much anything, <laughs> let it dry, wrap it up, and give it to them. And they are well chuffed. So <laughs> that is enjoyable. My biggest disappointment today, Father's Day, Rach, 
So I haven't received a Toblerone. I diligently gave a normal-sized Toblerone to my dad for years as payment for, you know, raising me. Uh, one Toblerone. And I didn't get a Toblerone. I thought, this is why you have a kid, you get a Toblerone. Nothing. So, you know, I'm waiting. Um, we are carry- <laughs> we're carrying on our series. We are in the book of Nehemiah, and I absolutely love this book. This is part five. I would really encourage you to go back and listen to the other um, preachers that we've had on this. And then this morning, uh, Dave Pike preached part five, Dave Pike's version, which is going to be quite different from this one. So go and listen to that as well. Um, to give you an overview, Dave, um, no, Dave Pike is not a book in the Old Testament. Nehemiah is a book in the Old Testament. God's people are in exile. Nehemiah is in exile. And he has been raised up to the position of cupbearer for the king. So it's a position of real trust and real honor. And his brother and some of his friends come from Jerusalem and tell him the state of Jerusalem, that the walls are down, the gates have been burned with fire. And he is absolutely brokenhearted for his home. And he risks his job, he risks his life, he risks everything to go before the king and say, will you let me go back? Will you let me go back and rebuild my home? And amazingly, with God's favor, the king says yes, and he gives him everything that he will need to go and do this. So Nehemiah goes there, and without telling anyone what he's up to, he just starts to survey the city, just see what the need is. And then you get to chapter 3, which James preached on last week. His beautiful chapter um, of just list of name after name after name of tribes, of clans working alongside one another, rebuilding this city, united as a people. And then we get to Nehemiah 4. But before we get there, that is what we're going to speak on. Before we get there, I want to draw your attention to two people who have emerged in this story and who are absolutely key to this story. And they are, <clears throat> better read it, Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite. And they are two characters around whom opposition to Nehemiah rallies. So Nehemiah 2.10, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Nehemiah 2.19, but when Sambalat and Tobiah heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So they are the guys and around them gather other people who are opposing Nehemiah and, and by direct extension opposing God. And then we get to Nehemiah 4. 1 to 9, which I'm going to read. It should come up behind me as well. Now, ooh, air con. now, when Sambalat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. So he already knew it was going to happen. It, he, what he's heard now is that it started to happen. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? So what he's saying there is like, Jerusalem, this shining city, has been totally raised to the ground and burnt. And so he's saying like, what are you doing? You're not going to manage it. Why, why try? And even if you do manage it, your shining city is going to be made up of broken, charred stones. So why even bother? 
Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up to it, he will break down their stone wall. Great slam. And then Nehemiah says this, hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. This is a great biblical example that we can pray honest prayers. That God doesn't just want to hear our our nice prayers that we think sound right. He wants your heart. He wants to hear your heart. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites, so the, and the Ashdodites, they'd been joined by more people, heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem, to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. So Nehemiah is answering this call of, that God has put upon his life. He was broken. And the opposition he faces, people think ill of him. They speak ill of him. They question his identity. They question his motive. They question his calling, his chance of success. They threaten him. They mock him. And through all of this, Nehemiah maintains his faith. And it is key for us to understand how he does that because the opposition he faces is very, very like the opposition that we are likely to face as we step into what God is calling us to. And the reason for that is that behind all opposition to God and his people and his plans is the devil. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. The devil is behind opposition to God. It is his job. It is his mandate. Now, I know as I talk about the devil, there will be a whole spectrum of belief in this room. Um, And that is fine. We are not going to address that tonight. Paul's doing that next week. (laughs) Paul's not doing that next week, uh, to his relief. Um, But there is one cultural narrative that I want to challenge, and it is this. A lot of people will talk about the devil saying, oh, he's leftover. He's a leftover from a superstitious age. He's not real. He simply represents evil that is naturally in the world. Now, I don't think that is what the Bible says. I think the Bible says that he is real. Now, one response to that can be fear. I, um, as I've said, I work with kids and I work with young people, and a lot of their questions uh, come up around this, and they are some good questions and some tough questions. Um, but often around this area, so their questions are laced with a bit of fear. And I also don't think that is what the Bible tells us. And I want to just quickly tell you guys what I tell them because I think often young people ask the questions we want to ask but never get around to asking. Um, And so what I say to them is this. The devil is like Newport Road. So some of you who've ever traveled further south of Cardiff know that there is a very large road called Newport Road. It is four, five, ever six, maybe six lanes wide uh, and... Yeah, it's big. 
Um, and what I tell them is this, Newport Road is real and it is dangerous. You're likely to come across it. And if you mess around on it, you're likely to get hurt. But we don't live in fear of Newport Road because we know how to handle it. It is the same with the devil. I believe he is real and he is dangerous and you are likely to come across his work. And if you mess around with him, you will get hurt. But we do not live in fear of him because we know how to deal with him. As adopted sons and daughters, we have the authority to command him out of places, out of situations, to resist him, to force him to flee. So he's real, but we do not need to live in fear of him. And he is behind all opposition to God and by that extension, God's people and those who answer God's call on our life. And, we, you know, we, we all have a generic call on our life. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to go and make disciples. We also will all have specific callings of like what that looks like in our life at different times. The devil's tactics are not particularly imaginative. And that is why I think this text tells us so much about how we can keep faith in the way Nehemiah did. Because he has been around humanity a long time. He knows how we work and his tactics can be pretty effective. But we know them. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says this, For we are not unaware of his schemes. Rick Warren puts it this way, The devil will delay us, disrupt us, and discourage us. And I want to add to that, he will also distract us. So he will delay us. Now what that looks like is us saying, oh, I'm not ready yet. God's called me, but I'm not ready yet. He said I'm ready, but I'm not. I can't do that yet. You put it off and you put it off. It's kingdom procrastination. He'll disrupt us. I have known I've been preaching on this passage for about six weeks. And I, I absolutely believe that part of God's call on my life is to preach and teach his word. I love it. I've never, ever struggled with a preach as much as I have with this one. No, I've had a million thoughts and not one of them has landed. Not one of them has allowed me until a couple of days ago to build something up. He has disrupted my thoughts because he knew probably before I knew that I was going after him. And I want you guys to know how to deal with him. So this is not just theory. This is real. I felt so disrupted. I felt so discouraged. He distracts us. How many of us, and this is absolutely me, say that we want to spend more time with God. We want a more intimate relationship with God. And since you last said that, you've started a new Netflix series. Definitely. Now, that is a small example of him distracting us, but this can be huge. Um, very often, many of you guys will know that you get to the age of sort of 18, 19, 20, you might have grown up in the church, uh, you've kind of got this inherited faith of like, yeah, this is, this is just what I believe, and you have this choice of like, am I in or am I out? And sometimes you know you've got that choice, and sometimes it just kind of sneaks under the radar. Um, but it is a key decision. It is a key time in your life to decide, do I believe this for myself? Or is this just what I've grown up with and now I'm just going to leave it? This was very much the case for me. 
And I got to that age and I went on my gap year and the devil distracted me with everything imaginable. Huge amounts of drinking, going out, really caring what people thought about me. He distracted me. And it wasn't until the end of my gap year that I suddenly was, I saw, I saw things where God had trying to be, be calling me back. Just little things throughout the year. And then at the end, just, felt, just, just saw God and was just like, this is where I want to be. But six months, the devil had just been distracting me, trying to keep me away. And this might be where you guys are at now. Or you might have just come out of it. Perhaps even this evening is God grabbing your attention and saying, come back to me. He discourages us. Um, probably about three weeks ago, uh, my wife, Rachel, is on maternity leave at the minute. Um, she just had this sort of fresh understanding of like how lonely it can be to be a mum on maternity leave. And she was like, I think I can do something about this. People are so lonely. People are so isolated. And I think I'm broken for it. And, and God has called me. You know, like Nehemiah was broken. She was broken. She was like, I, I think there's something I can do. And what followed was just two weeks of her just feeling so, so low. Unable to sort of get herself out of that mindset, feeling more and more isolated. And it got to the end of the two weeks and she went to our small group. And guys, this is why you've got to be in a small group. She went to our small group and she said, I, can't, I just don't think I can do it. God gave me this dream. I can't go through with it because I can't even, like, I'm lonely. How do I help other people stop being lonely? And a small group just got round her and just prayed with her. And one of them said, you know, this kind of sounds like spiritual attack. She was like, oh, yeah. Like, he had just been discouraging her almost to the point of victory. But she was like, I'm just not going to do this. And then small group got in there. They got praying. And she was like, do you know what? I'm going to do this. And all of those things, he does it. He does it with lies. He just lies to us all of the time. And we believe those lies. And we let them in. And like, I work with young people. And you would not believe the lies that get spoken over them. And the, the nice thing with young people is you can see quite easily. You know, they'll come and be like, oh, someone said this to me at school. And, and you can qu you quite easily speak out and just be like, do you know what, mate, that's a lie. Don't believe that. And you, you get it out nice and quick. As we get a little bit older, we get quite good at hiding those lies. because we may be a little bit less honest about what's going on in our lives. Maybe they've been there a little bit longer and, you know, they've sunk a little deeper. But all of those things that the devil does to pull us away from walking into our calling are lies. This may well have happened to you guys. We're going we're gonna to pray about it at the end. Maybe the Lord called you to start something or to go somewhere. And for some reason, it just didn't happen. Something else came up. Your family weren't on board. Your job asked you to stay for another year. It just faded away until it didn't happen. So that is how the enemy attacks us. It's pretty predictable. Conveniently, they all start with D so we can remember them. How do we counter this? How did Nehemiah counter this? He did two things. Two sets of two things, Matt. 
Prayer and preparation is the first one, and I'm going to call that action. And then the second thing, he knew who God was, and he knew who he was in God, and I'm going to call that one identity. So to talk about action first, Nehemiah 4, 8 to 9. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem, to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. For Nehemiah, there was no separation between prayer and practical preparation. They are two sides of the same coin, and it's got to be the same for us. Nehemiah prayed on his own. He prayed within a community. He got people around him to pray, do the same. Don't become isolated. Like, that's why Rach went to, that's why we're in small groups. I, when I was walking here, feeling so discouraged and just feeling like, you know, I was listening to the enemy's lies. Was like, why am I doing this? Who has given me the microphone? Why am I allowed to preach? What is going on? What if I just don't go? <laughs> it did flash through my mind. And I was suddenly like, this is literally what I'm preaching on tonight. So I text my small group and was like, guys, this is what I'm feeling. It's what I'm preaching on. I'm telling everyone that they should message their small groups and ask for prayer. So probably should do the same. Preparation as well. If you know something is going to distract you, cut it out of your life. Get people to hold you accountable. If you're getting delayed or discouraged in stepping into God's calling, are there people around you who are going to call that out in you? So that is action, prayer and preparation, two sides of the same coin. And then identity. Nehemiah knew who God was. He knew who he was in God and what God had called him to do. Nehemiah's relationship with God is so great. It's so intimate. 2.12, he says this, I told no one what my God had put on my heart. So he knows he's, he, he's his God. It's a relationship that he understands. He says, he's put something into my heart. He has called me to this. Nehemiah was not a wall builder. He wasn't a city rebuilder. He was a cupbearer. And basically, all these guys are saying is like, what are you doing? Why are you rebuilding a city? Like, a fox is going to knock it down. You don't know how to do this. Nehemiah could so easily have been like, you're right. I'm going to find a city rebuilder, and that's my role. No, he knew what the Lord had called him to. It's what he's put in my heart, 2.18. And I told them that the hand of my God that had been upon me for good... When we face opposition, as we respond to God's call on our life, the key to maintaining our faith is to remind ourselves who God is and who we are in God. So who is God? He is our Father. He is good in every sense of the word. He is the creator of all things good. He's Jesus. He's our saviour, our friend, our brother by divine adoption. He is the Holy Spirit, God's presence and power physically in us. And who are we in God? Now, the starting point for this is we are sinners. We cannot get away from that truth. If someone ever says to you, you are not broken, this world is not in some way intrinsically broken, I, I just couldn't disagree more. We are sinners, but it does not stop there. We have to accept that, but we do not stay there. We are forgiven, redeemed, and adopted by a loving Father. We are called to love God with everything that we have, to love those around us like we love ourselves, and to go and make disciples of the whole world. 
he has called you. He has put a calling on your life. He put a calling on Nehemiah's life. It is you. Nehemiah was not qualified. He just did it. And God qualified him in the moment. So how do we remind ourselves of this? Who God is, who we are in him. Firstly, we do it by worshipping. In worship, we declare the truth about God. And we give him the highest place in our life. When I got here, I was like, I, I came in here a little bit early and the guys were just, it was just rehearsing worship and I felt better. I was like, yes, this is who God is. This is who I am. We read the Bible, submerge yourself in the truth of this book. If you find it hard to read, get the audio book or do what I've done lately. Get a Bible you love. I've never had a Bible I've loved before. They're always like the ones I've picked up for free. And that's great. I, like, I love that. But I was like, do you know what? I want a Bible that I want to pick up. And this was my birthday present. And I love it. And I've just read it so much more. Submerge yourself in the truth of this book and pray. Talk to the one that you're reminding yourself about. Just pray to God. Get others to pray with you. When you encounter opposition, cast yourself back onto God. Because you will come away knowing him better. In James 1, verse 2 to 4, James says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James didn't write this because he loved it when he suffered. No one loves it when they suffer. What he's saying is, when you suffer, it forces you to cast yourself back on the Lord. And we remind ourselves who he is. We root our identity in him. We draw closer to him and our relationship grows. Our faith is honed and perfected in his presence. And so, just I come in to finish. I hope that this is equipping you for the future. Because our heart is for all of this community to step into what God is calling us to. And as we do that, we are going to encounter opposition. I want this for you to be a message of preparation. If you're currently facing opposition as you step into what God is calling you to, I want this to be a message of hope. Get people around you to pray. Cast yourself back on the Lord. Read his word. Worship. Remind yourself who God is, who you are in him, and what he has called you to do. But I'm also aware that it's very likely that lots of us here have encountered opposition in the past. God called us to something, broke our hearts for something, gave us a dream, and over time, for a multitude of reasons, it never came to pass. It, like overtly or covertly, the enemy disrupted your plans, discouraged you, delayed you, distracted you. I want this to, for you to be a message of recommissioning. If God called you to something, if he gave you a dream for something, if he broke your heart for something, do not let fear, do not let a lack of focus or apathy or indecision hold you back from it. Rekindle that dream with the Lord. 
Remind yourself who he is, who you are in him, and what he has called you to. Why don't we stand?